There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. Today's interview is with Bill Sparks. Bill Sparks, I mean, the question I have for Bill is, what haven't you done? What haven't you done, Bill, with your life? This is a guy who I don't think will ever retire. He's been involved in development issues of all kinds for many, many years. He was uh, a part of a conversation with Lester B. Pearson many years ago that clearly was memorable for him that he talks about in today's uh, podcast. He talks about persevering and about how we need to measure the little things and about how sometimes naivete leads uh, to wisdom and about power structures. I mean, Bill's just all over the place, but in the most focused and intentional of ways. I think you're going to 
absolutely love this interview. You'd be nuts not to listen to it uh, for a whole lot of reasons. Uh, don't forget uh, davidpecklive.com. It's still active and online. Check us out. Uh, look for my book, Real Change. And, you know, do I have to remind you, you know, it's, it's flying, flying, just flying off those digital shelves. And we will look forward to uh, our next interview. And I think Bill Sparks could be, uh, there could be a part two coming up real soon. All right, well, welcome to Face to Face. We are back, you know, I guess live for us, uh, for my guest and I today, but not so live for you. It's going to be a digital reproduction. What does Baudrillard call that? A simulacra, I think. I don't know why I'm going down this path, but anyway, the hyper real. So welcome to Face to Face today. My guest is Bill Sparks. Nice Thank to be here, David. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Bill's, um, Bill's a bit of a crazy nut, frankly. Uh, I've just spent a little bit of time on his uh, LinkedIn page here this morning, and I'm, I'm stunned, again, by his breadth of experience, uh, the, the amount of things that he has done, but uh, I think the amount of change that he's been involved in and, and, and been the facilitator for, or the, you know, Bill is a, a domino in a lot of different fields, it seems to me. So, so I, I, he's, he's a social change um, maker, it seems to me. So, so that's all I'm going to say. I'm, uh, and, and professionally, he's trained as a social worker. So that, that's the intro you're going to get. If you want to go a little deeper, you'll have to check online uh, to, to, to find out a little bit more. Uh, but I'm talking about... Anyway, I'm going to let Bill talk about it. I was just going to list off a bunch of things from his LinkedIn profile, but it's really quite remarkable. So thanks for joining us today. We're going to talk about uh, change and human development and I'm sure social justice issues and poverty and human rights. So stay tuned. And uh, again, thanks, Bill, for joining us. So what exactly do you do, Bill? Well, it's interesting at this stage in my life, David, you know, as, as I start to press up towards 70, um, I am... Um, on uh, three days a week involved in organizational development. So I'm, I'm the program coordinator in my retirement, <laughs> which is not, not very retired. Um, yeah, shouldn't you be writing your book right uh, now, Bill? Yeah, Actually, yeah, that, not, I'm, not I'm working like, in organizational I'm like, development. I'm like uh, Eric Erickson. I've got no time to write this stuff. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, or he can't write his biography because he had something to do about Mahatma Gandhi. It right. was important first. Right, right. Um, so uh, three days a week I work in organizational development for a registered charity that does free uh, pro bono consulting for not-for-profits in Toronto and the greater environments. Everything from board governance to strategic planning to program outcomes to uh, financial setups uh, to uh, fundraising and marketing. So that keeps me busy three days a week. Uh, one day a week, uh, as you know, especially in the spring, I teach international development at Humber College and I teach the, uh, the Canadian development context. So what is the socio-political economic wrapping that Canada brings to international development? How do we do that also domestically? What's our whole development context in, in Canada? So that's big stuff. It's macro yeah, stuff. and I definitely want to get to that because, yeah. as you know, yeah. that's a big interest of mine, yeah. international development, but how, how does Canada speak into it? How do we actually tease it out? I was talking to somebody yesterday who went on uh, at quite a rate about how generous Canada was, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and I said, well, you know, we are, but, uh, you know, that comes with a few footnotes, and I'd, I'd like does, to hear yeah. you talk yeah. about some of that. And also in light of the, mater uh, the maternal newborn child health uh, RFP, 
that was just put out by DFAD, $370 million, mm -hmm, you know? Mm -hmm, yeah, and yeah. it sure seems like we're pretty generous. That's a lot of money, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Did you have another one you were going to add to that? So we got organizational development, teacher at Humber College. You're yeah. not sounding like you're very retired today. <laughs> That's right, David. Um, the, the third area here is clinical social work. So as you mentioned, I'm a, I'm a social worker. Um, so uh, I started off in, in child welfare and in child protection. Uh, and then I became the executive director of the John Howard Society of Windsor and then gradually over a period of about over 20 years became the executive director of John Howard Ontario. So uh, clinical social work, program development, uh, social service administration is all part of that picture. And then trying to integrate that all in the, in the last uh, seven or eight years, I found myself teaching a course in secondary traumatic stress I found students at Humber and other places coming up to me and saying, uh, I'm just back from overseas, this happened, it was very traumatic, what do I do? Uh, I've seen students about to go overseas that say, uh, uh, I'm a black Canadian born in Scarborough, Ontario, I'm going to work in the HIV townships of Cape Town, uh, is there anything special I need to know? Uh, so all of those things in terms of pre-departure orientation, getting people personally ready, uh, allowing them to deal with trauma uh, to in the most beneficial way possible and to help develop resilience and recovery. So those clinical aspects of social work start to come in too. So at this stage, I'm sort of looking at how do I integrate and put all of these three big areas together, the micro, the meso and the macro. So it seems to me that you're all over the place. Mm. However, I don't believe that for a second. There's a common thread here. There's yeah. a there's a foundation. There's something going on here. There's more. There's more going. One of my favorite lines for my podcast interviews is, you know, more going on than meets the eye. I mean, you 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 talk to somebody for 20, 30, 40 minutes, and you go, holy smokes, this is crazy yeah. what you're involved yeah. in, mm -hmm. right? Or mm -hmm. you see the connections in a way that you hadn't seen yeah. before. Yeah. So. Yeah. What for you would you say is the, what's laying the groundwork here? Sure. So I don't think you can be good in any one of those three areas unless you are informed by the other two. So my favorite psychiatrist is a guy named Franz Fanon. Franz Fanon is huge in international development, southern viewpoint. A lot of white folks don't know him. He was a black Martinique. Um, who uh, became a psychiatrist uh, in France and uh, did his internship not in Paris, he was close to the top of his class, but in Lyon, uh, and he did it with the first creator of therapeutic communities inside psychiatric hospitals. Hmm. And he went out of his way to find that person because he had grown up in a system of oppression. And he thought if you can create a therapeutic community inside an oppressive institution like mm, a psychiatric hospital. Interesting. That's something he wanted to know. Inside out. You got it. So then, uh, and he did, uh, he was then appointed to Algeria as a French psychiatrist, uh, black French psychiatrist, uh, during the Arab uprising and the, uh, the revolution in Algeria. And he joined the FLN. So he, and then he became the uh, deputy minister of health in uh, wow. Tunisia, and he formed the first psychiatric outpatients clinic in uh, Africa. 
Hmm. So here's a guy who integrated uh, well, the clearly political. an academic, a theoretician, yeah, yeah, but yeah, on, yeah, but also yeah. very active on the ground. I love that stuff. I mean, you know, I have a master's degree in philosophy, and I remember you know saying to many people, I don't want to do this unless I can somehow make it. Meet, yeah, yeah. you know, make contact with reality, and, and I want to write yeah. for people. It may not be highfalutin stuff, but I want to write for people that are going to read it. You know, yeah, so that right. always impresses me when yeah, somebody's yeah. got that mind, yeah. but also got the the, yeah, the, the yeah, boots yeah, on the yeah. ground. That's you right. Know? So here's here's a, a clinical psychiatrist who brings in the social and political. Yeah. So yeah. so you know, I, I like Fanon, um, and I like that attempt to integrate uh, the human development, and you cannot, to my mind, separate. You know, individual uh, human development from its its socio-economic political context. So, how do we in international development start to weave all of those things things together? How do we also take care of ourselves as international development workers, mm. so that all of that context does which not would explain become, the pre-trip stuff, the trauma work you're doing, this you kind of thing. You yeah. got it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, how do we keep good people going? Uh, so that that becomes uh, well, uh, isn't that in a way? Um, uh, a form of capacity building, would you say? Uh, it's, I mean, we're deeply relational, clearly. Yeah. Uh, but, but you're providing. I guess that's your maybe your social work background a little bit coming coming to bear. Yeah. 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 So the personal is political, and the political is personal. Right. You know, as Carol Honish said uh, across the lake in Seneca Falls, New York, many years ago. So that, and in, in response to women's liberation and the and the women's movement, uh, and you can't separate those two things. So, and I, don't, and I don't think you can separate the middle level either, and that's the group, you know, the, the family, the organization, the community, all of those things impact you, and you impact those. So you didn't get in this work to make lots of money, um, <laughs> I don't think. That's and, right. You know, you weren't driven Social by Social workers the, die poor, David. Yeah, yeah, yeah you, weren't, you weren't driven by the, the benefit plan, probably, um, although, you know, maybe the union you were a part of was, was not so bad at the time. I do have a pension. Yeah. Oh, okay, good. Glad to hear it. Uh, do you drive a Mercedes? I don't. Yeah, I, I uh, drive a, a beat-up old Plymouth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, I don't either. So, so what was driving you? I mean, was it was the what's the what were, where, where's the passionate connection here? So I think you, you as a social worker, you always trace these things back to family of origin stuff. Mm. You know, where did you learn this? What, what was mm -hmm, the model? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I was very fortunate. Uh, my my mom was the longest surviving ileostomy patient in the history of Ontario. She, at the time that she died, she had had an ileostomy for 52 years. And uh, that, that illness brought tremendous disruption to the family, to my mm. family. Mm -hmm. uh, my parents did not survive as a marriage uh, because of that. My dad uh, had come back from World War II in terrible shape. He had been a POW, a prisoner of war, uh, in a concentration uh, POW camp for two and a half years. He was one of the few survivors. Uh, and when he came back, uh, he was in St. Anne de Belleville Hospital for about a year undergoing insulin shock treatments. Wow. So all, all of, of those big, huge things, uh, a stigmatizing... Was this World War II? World War yeah. II, yeah. Stigmatizing illness and a huge, gigantic militarization of the world impacted this small little marriage. Uh, and right. it, it did not survive. Uh, so, but I was fortunate, I went with my mom's side of the family uh, and my mom who could have uh, chosen to hate. There was a lot of possibilities mm -hmm. for bitterness. Good. She chose instead to, to forgive, to understand, and to love. 
Uh, and I think that was a tremendous model for me. So what do you do when there are huge problems? Well, you don't give up. You persevere. You say, what, what can I do? How do I contribute? How do I keep going? So I think I got that stuff from my mom. So if you look in and my... Was there, and Bill, was there a faith-based component to that at all? And uh, forgive yeah, for yeah, me going there sure, in, yeah. to some degree, but yeah. sometimes I wonder, you know, the more interviews I do, the more yeah, people yeah. I meet, you know, what, what is the ethic underlying that that sure. says, you know, I love your phrase, she could have chosen to hate, Yeah. right? Yeah. And, and instead forgive, love, and understand. I mean, it's wonderful stuff. It really is. And yeah, I, think, yeah. I think that is the future of development, frankly. It's the future of community, whether it's yeah. faith-based or not, right? Yep, yep that's right. Those are the choices we have to make right now. We can talk about that in terms of economic love and economic hatred. Yeah, sure, <laughs> but, sure, but, sure. But yes, there was a faith base. Um, I grew up within the United Church of Canada. Uh, and I still am in contact, although I, I'm not uh, an attender. I don't consider myself a church member. Uh, but I know all the folks in international development at uh, United Church of Canada, and uh, 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 it's, it's, I email them, and we meet, uh, we have good conversations, we belong to different committees and groups, so, so that connection keeps going. Right, um, right. So I think that, that was indeed a, a foundation, that, that you can tackle uh, things, you have to have faith in something. Uh, so, and I, I think what I often see in I'm interviewing, by the way, uh, a skeptic in front of <laughs> the Center for Skeptical Inquiry in a couple of weeks. And one of the questions I'm going to probably throw out is, well, what do you believe in? Yeah. yeah. What do you believe in? Yeah. You've got to believe in something, James. What is it? Yeah. 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 So do tell, and then let's unpack our conversation from there. You right? got it. You got it. So, so uh, I see um, a lot of folks that uh, have faith. If they keep at it, if they keep trying, some things can improve. So I often think in terms of uh, uh, social action faith-based groups uh, like Kairos. Mm -hmm. uh, they have a list that's 2,000 years old. Mm -hmm. of all the world's problems. You mm -hmm. want a bigger list, you couldn't find it. Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. what do they do? Nice. What do they do? You know, they, do they give up? Do they negate human existence? Uh, or do they affirm human existence? And they say, we affirm human existence, we keep trying, we can't change the world, we're just a small organization. What's our strategic plan? What's right. our annual right. plan? What's right. our priorities? Right. What are we going to focus on? How are we going to measure the little things that we can do to make things a little bit better? So, so I think that's, that's some of the perseverance. And so I have faith that if people get together, if people uh, put their, their minds together, their actions together, uh, we can make significant change. And, and you know, um, uh, as a famous uh, social anthropologist said, never for a moment doubt that a mm -hmm. small group of people can change the world. They're the only people that ever have. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so, um, so that's, that's, that's what keeps me going. I, I, I also, you know, I have the naivety of experience that has turned into a little bit of wisdom. Well, I, that's great. I love that. And I want to unpack that, but I was just going to interrupt. And, uh, I yeah. did interrupt, didn't I? <laughs> I would almost want to say, well, hang on. Doesn't your experience tell you that you should get out? Uh, Doesn't your experience tell you you should retire? <laughs> you should be writing your book or driving your Mercedes? Because I did what I could do. And boy, the world's going to hell in a handbasket in a hurry. So I'm done. I'm out. And you don't give me that sense at all. That, that's right. I mean, you know, we, I interviewed Nigel Fisher not long ago. Yeah. Same kind of thing. Yeah, that's right. And Nigel, Nigel is an old chief buddy. Yeah. 
well, there you go. Yeah. So maybe there's something going on there, but how the heck, Nigel, do you come out of this still wanting to do more, still passionately engaged and, and seeing Rwanda and Syria and Haiti and not come away from that deeply, sure. deeply scarred? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, you know? sure, yeah. So first of all, there is still more to be done. So it's not nice. time to retire and, nice. and, and write anything. Uh, the second thing, <laughs> the second so thing is, is that, that um, all that is necessary for evil to triumph, all that is necessary for you know, the most vicious of human atrocities to persevere is that good folks sit back and do nothing. So action is demanded. People, so how do we, how do we uh, bring our folks together? How do we organize? How do we put together a counterbalance to, to my mind, what has been dominant for, you know, not just a while, but for 10,000 years, that, that uh, um, pattern where uh, there is, is um, a prevalence of gaining power and imposing power on other people and making other people subject to the wants and desires of a few. So um, all that we have to do to allow that to persevere is to do nothing. Those folks will do that. They will gather the power. They will use that power. So how do we counterbalance that? So I'm always looking at, at how do we, uh, as international development folks, um, find our allies uh, who are at the bottom. What's the structural violence wherever we are? What's the uh, ladder of power? Who's on top? Who's on the bottom? How do we work with those folks uh, to build alliances so that we can, they can have a stronger uh, and larger voice in determining self, determining their neighborhood, determining their city, determining their country, determining their world? What I'm hearing is that the way we're going to change the world is the way we bring up our children. So you, you, you mentioned this idea of uh, a lot of this kind of thing, this passion is connected to family of origin. So, like, I want to come back to this again. Yeah, but Bill, why you? Like, why do you care? I mean, I know I do, and I know many, many others do, and I, you know, we're sitting in a, in a boardroom of a corporate entity, which, you know, and I don't want to go all anti-corporate, but why aren't more people thinking this way? You know, yeah, sure. let's change the world. Yeah, let's yeah, yeah. let's really. I'm gonna I'm gonna choose a profession, and maybe they are thinking this way. Let's. I'm gonna choose a profession that like social work. I'm gonna become a teacher. I'm gonna work in international development. I'm gonna become a doctor, etc. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna yeah, give back yeah, in some way yeah, and make yeah, some money yeah. at the same time. Yeah, you know, kind yeah. of social entrepreneurship, if you will, sure. rather yeah. than I'm looking for the bathhouse, the hot tub, the Mercedes, and the BMW, mm -hmm. etc. I think it goes up and down. I think the, the, mm. the culture is uh, uh, different, has expressions of different dominance at different times. So I often look in terms of international development. And the, the first big, uh, large-scale uh, aid enterprise came out of, of World War II, the Marshall Plan. Where did, what's the philosophy behind that? Well, this is, this is the tail end of the 1940s, so you have uh, the economic and political philosophy of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Uh, government can be big, government can intervene, government can make things better, and in fact in the 1930s we had to do that uh, or people would have starved to death. So uh, we can have an interventionist government, we can get control of unfettered free enterprise, unfettered capitalism, we can regulate it, 
uh, we can bring it into a focused channel and government can intervene and do good. So out of that comes the Marshall Plan. We do not crush those people that we have defeated in war. Uh, we do not drive them into the ground. We do not kill them. Uh, we assist in reconstruction. And in fact, so deeply ironic, isn't it? It's just yeah, yeah. weeks before we were bombing the hell out of them. Sure. Firebombing them, actually. Yeah, that's right. Purposely killing their civilians to that's win right. this war. That's right. Yeah. And now yeah. we're giving them money to rebuild. Yeah. It's just insane. Yeah. So now what we've got here is, and you have the formation of the World Bank. If you remember, right. the World Bank right. was, the original title was the World Bank for Reconstruction and Development. And they were reconstructing Europe. So, um, so that philosophy of economics and, and, and politics, I think, lasts uh, during the 1970s. Uh, I think it begins to fall apart at the end of the 1970s. But if you remember Gunnar Myrdal, who is uh, Olaf Palma's Minister of Economics, a great economic theorist, wins the Nobel Prize for Economics in 1974, but he has to share it mm. with his arch enemy, Frederick Hayek. Mm. Frederick mm. Hayek, of course, is, is the guru that Milton Friedman... He's, he's my arch enemy as well, <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> and Milton Friedman, of course, wins the Nobel Prize for Economics in 1978. So we have a shift in thinking back to the free market, to the unfettered free enterprise. And I, and we have Social the, responsibility of sure. business is yeah. to increase profits, period. You got it, period. You got it, period. Yeah, yeah. period. And, That's and there the should, thing that blows and, my mind. Yeah, yeah. And government you know? should be small and non-interventionist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So what, what we have is that change in philosophy, that change in the dominant culture. Mm. Interesting. And then we have the election of Ronald Reagan. We have the political unification of that. Uh, and it's really only, it goes all the way up until 2008 when you have the financial collapse uh, and it, it still takes a long, people a long, long time to learn all this stuff. There's mm -hmm, still time mm -hmm. lag. Uh, a lot of a lot of uh, folks that we that I see in international development still they still don't have that big, huge macro picture. Right. Uh, so, so. So do you think? Yeah. So let's let's go down that route if yeah. you don't mind. So you got the Milton Friedman, von Hayek, and so on. You you you. Um, is this about? Here we are sitting in this corporate boardroom, uh, and grateful to be able to sit here. Yes, is sure. It a, yeah. Is it about a blend? Is it, you know, so we got the triple bottom line, something I continue to talk more and more about. I love what the liberals have done with it. I'll say it again. You know, instead of profit, it's, it's prosperity, mm -hmm. which I think is really helpful. They've made that distinction. Maybe it wasn't their notion, but it's a nice little footnote. It's not just about making money. This yeah. is about hopefully sharing that as well with others. Whatever that means. I don't mean in a, you know, in a Marxist way necessarily. Um, but at the same time, uh, is the future going to be more about uh, about partnership? Is it about building better communities? Is it about, you know, I did an interview that has uh, just got posted last week with Jason Hamilton in uh, late 2014, for those of you who are listening to this in 2019. Um, Jason uh, Hamilton from Advocate Printing. I mean, this is a company that's really trying to change the way they do business. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's more of the future? I mean, I mean, clearly we're talking about education here, we're yeah, talking yeah. about yeah. capacity, understanding mm -hmm, history mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm. on, yeah, but yeah. there's a lot going on here. Yeah. You know? So, so I, I think there's a good possibility here. Now you have to be careful and you have to make sure that you are not co-opted as you get into these things. So I see a lot of young people that are interested in social enterprise. They want to make money, they want to have prosperity, they want to have a profit, but they want to do this in an ethically responsible social enterprise manner that provides benefit to folks. 
So I think, I think the, the judgment is still out on that. The verdict is still out on that, whether that's going to work or not. Will folks, as they get into the profit-making market, does money become a means to an end? Uh, and that's an awfully big temptation. And I think that's a 10,000-year-old temptation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I often think that Paul, in his letter to Timothy, got a little bit wrong when he said love of money is the root of all evil. I think it's just money. Can be <laughs> so, just pure and simply yeah, money. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so that, that can become you know, a, a greedy thing and become a driver. So, uh, so young folks are going to have to watch that. How are they going to maintain that social part of the enterprise, social meaning we are doing good, we are making things better? Because isn't there something to be said, Bill, so this whole idea of the living wage or fair trade, whatever it is, I mean, isn't there something that people, and here I am being divisive, but folks like us who would like to think that there shouldn't even be a notion called fair trade. It should be just trade that is implicitly fair. Yeah. yeah. Does, that, does that make sense? It does. But unfortunately, I think the 10,000-year history is no. You know, it, trade exactly. is not fair. Trade it's, is, for some guy said, I will give you, you know, two rotten oranges for your good orange. That's a two-for-one deal, buddy. Right, you can't right. lose that. You can't you know? lose, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, yeah and for that, sure. Yeah. So, so I think we always have to be aware of that. We always have to be consciously... Uh, producing on, the on, alternative and on have, our guard. Yeah, and have that have that alternative consciously in people's minds. So, when folks talk about free trade uh, versus fair trade, why would it be versus? Why, in fact, you know, why isn't all trade fair trade? Right, so, right, right. So, yeah. Which um, presupposes maybe a family of origin that uh, actually, you know, in in impose that from from the ground up yeah, right yeah, the way yeah. the way you were raised call it faith-based yeah, call yeah, it human-centric yeah. call it whatever you that, want that's right that's right you yeah. know there is some yeah. kind of overarching foundation or ethic here that says others matter well that's you correct know? that's correct you know? yeah no I, I should tell you uh, also on my mom's side of the family uh, there there's a strong descent from Nova Scotia coal miners hmm. so when you go to Sydney mines Nova Scotia uh, today there's not much left. Hmm. Uh, there's the ferry that goes over to Newfoundland. Um, the coal mine is shut down. It's all depleted. Uh, the workers have gone. Um, many, many family relatives died in those coal mines. Hmm. Uh, unregulated profit-taking uh, produces death. So in my family of origin, on my mom's side, you had, you had two kinds of folks. And when you went to funerals, you had to know which side of the room to stand on. You know, one side was they were salvationists. You put your faith in the Lord. The Lord was going to save you down in the mines. Right. The other side were union organizers. The Lord wasn't going to save you down in the mines. A canary, a canary you, was. You bet, and you'd better make sure that that canary's down there and make sure the yep. boss has got yep. the canary down there. Yep. And you, you have to organize. You yeah. have to demand it. You have to save right. yourself. Right, you know? right, so, so that action component was always there, too, in, in, in my family of origin. You yeah. take action. Yeah. Yeah. You see something wrong, well, you've got to correct it. You know, having taught now at, at Hubbard College for a few years, I mean, it's, it's the big one for me. It's, it's all, this is all great. It's all whiteboarded. It's in the books. It's in the text. We're going to have a test on it. You're going to present on it. But 
how is this actually going to change the way you you live your life, how mm -hmm. you interact mm -hmm. with your friends and your family and your wives and your husbands and partners and so on, and others on the other side of the world, presumably because mm -hmm. we both work in, in, mm -hmm. in the international development yeah. context. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, to my mind, when, when students graduate from that last course at, at Humber, and, when, and I teach the, John Goulding and I teach the last course before folks go off, I want them in This is their, a nice segue, by the way, into my questions about Canadian uh, context yeah, and yeah, our, yeah. Our, our approach. Yeah. So I, I want them to be aware of wherever they are going, whether they're staying in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, whether they're going to Tanzania or, or to Asia or to Latin America. What is the vertical mosaic? Hmm. And the vertical mosaic is a uniquely Canadian term, right? John Porter coined, coined this. This was the racial and ethnic stratification of Canada by economy, by economics. Um, so who's on top, who's on bottom, and then how do you work with the folks that are on the bottom uh, to build alliances so that they can have more power, more voice in determining... Wait, vertical else. mosaic, is that another way of saying rights-based kind of development? Let's, let's, vertical mosaic is the opposite of, of rights-based. Hmm, so vertical mosaic is the oppressor. Right. Oh, yeah, I see what yeah, you're doing. Yeah. Right. So, Fair yeah. enough. So yeah. that's that's the structural violence coming down. Yeah. Who is perpetrating that structural violence? What is the structure and process for the perpetuation of poverty wherever you are? What's so I guess structure? what I mean, what I mean is it, the the antithesis of that is rights based development. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. You more it. more more participatory, more relational, yeah. more community, more yeah. inclu inclusive. Is the, my favorite yeah. word these days in every yeah. context. Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. yeah. That's right. So how how do folks you know yeah. who yeah. are feeling self defeated, who sure. are sure. blaming themselves? And I think you know I think uh, uh, free enterprise and capitalism often says that to folks. Yeah. The reason why you are not rich is because you are dumb or you're stupid or you yeah, haven't worked yeah. hard enough you're or there's something wrong with you. Of, you're not enough of an individual, yeah, yeah. right? Eduardo Galeano has a, a beautiful phrase. I love Eduardo Galeano. I read him and reread him as often as I can. And he says, the phrase is, to be like them. Hmm. You know, so there's the ultimate in cultural imperialism. We, you know, we are not good. We must be like somebody else. So we in Latin America, we in Chile, right. we in Argentina, uh, there's something wrong with us. If we are going to participate in the wealth of this planet, we must be like those Yeah, we can't folks. be different. We, we're not going to celebrate difference, right? Yeah, yeah that's right. So tell me about Canadians. So we love to talk about, uh, uh, you know, a... Um, a generous Canadian, an ethical Canadian, a Canadian that's concerned about others and we're peacekeepers, you know, um, you know, uh, pretty interesting based on what's happening in the press right now with us bombing ISIS and so on. Yep. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. this whole notion of peace and how that's changed and so on. But yeah, so you teach a course in Canadian context. In fact, when I went through the program at Humber, I believe John had just started teaching in one of the books that we read, which I've referenced many times, is While Canada Slept by Andrew Cohen. Just yeah. hit me right now. Yeah, yeah. And I remember Cohen's notion, as much as I wouldn't agree with his politics probably, uh, for the most part, his comment was, hey, we're nowhere near as generous as everybody thinks. Yeah. And it's time that we became a little bit more uh, aware of our past, the, the Lester B. Pearson past. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, uh, and, I, and I think, you know, there's awfully good intent here. So when, when Pearson writes Partners in Development, 
Um, what a great book, by the way. Yeah, and, and I think it's 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 a text we need to keep. Totally, re it's sitting on my desk right yeah, now, yeah. actually. Yeah. I, I, in my long history, David, I had the pleasure of uh, talking to Lester Pearson oh, on the telephone. Wow. Wow, me. And I, I have to tell you, he's, he was, he's a very humble and egalitarian mm. guy. Pearson used to ride the Ottawa Transit bus mm. to work when mm. he was Prime Minister. Wow. You know, he would That's just get crazy. on the bus, everybody else would be there. He'd say, how are you doing today? So, um, so uh, I had to put together for uh, uh, one of Paulo Ferrer's great lieutenants in Canada, uh, Alan, I can't remember Alan's last name, oh my God, from OIC. At any rate, uh, he was running a CUSO orientation for medical personnel, and I was a, a medical lab tech at the time when I went overseas with CUSO, uh, and we and we had to construct from the our own needs. The question I think is for this interview is what haven't you done, Bill? I think yeah, is the question yeah, that should yeah, be our, yeah, yeah. our thread. <laughs> Which is probably why I can't retire. There's still That's more right, I haven't there's done. There's more to do. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah, awesome. Yeah. It's so cool. But but yeah. you know, part of this was was uh, to try and understand more about Lester Pearson's uh, textbook. Hmm. Uh, and we were in Ottawa, Carleton University. We were spending the week there. We were putting together the whole curriculum ourselves, as, as Paul Ferris says we should, based on our own learning needs. Then you go out and find the resources and mm -hmm. bring them in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So my job was to try and learn more about, about uh, uh, Pearson's thought. So uh, there's a phone number in the Ottawa book. I phone you know, that number. Great story. Thinking, Love it. Yeah, thinking that I will get his secretary Assistant, or somebody. secretary, he's on holiday, whatever, yeah. So, you know, uh, good old Mike, Mike Pearson, answers the phone. He says, oh, 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 Mr. Pearson. Yes, yes, yeah, it's me, yeah. Uh, oh, oh, I'm at a, 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 Q, a Q, QSO. Uh, oh, yeah, QSO, yes, sure. I, yeah, I look. And, of course, Pearson helped create QSO. So, uh, and, he, and he said, well, we, we would love to have you come and talk, you know, for, for whatever time you can for our, our, our orientation, uh, just understanding the basics here around the, the economics and politics of, of, uh, of international development, because we're all medical people, you know, we tend to get focused down in our, our small little areas, and, and we need, we're trying to get the big picture. And he said, oh, yeah, great, when, now when are, you, when are you? And we gave him the dates, and he says, oh, I'm in New York, I'm in Washington, I'm flying tomorrow, I can't do it. But you know, keep me in mind for next year. Hmm. So, boy, you know. So this is this is you know, one would ex one would think uh, a really higher up guy. No, very very hmm. very personable, hmm. very affable. And he would. And you, every impression I had was if he had had if he'd been in Ottawa, he would have come and seen right, us. Right, yeah. right. So so you know, that kind of egalitarianism. How do you spread that? Um, so the, the thought in my mind is we have a shift away from that kind of, of generosity in Canada. So I'm just going to provide a tiny bit of context. So Partners in Development, uh, a study that was um, um, uh, came out of uh, Robert McNamara, basically, wasn't it? Yeah, a yeah. committee that he so, had put together yeah, yeah. and brought a group of people together. Mm -hmm. Pearson was kind of heading it up, yeah. responsible for the yeah. editing of about mm -hmm. a 400-page book, yeah. which is very detailed and actually, believe it or not, kind of fun and interesting to read, especially if you're in international development. Ian Smiley was the guy who introduced me to it, and yeah. I, I, I ordered it off eight books and got it for $3.50, mm -hmm. an original mm -hmm. copy. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to read very far. I mean, the introduction shows you how egalitarian it is. It shows yeah. you how inclusive it is. Mm -hmm. And you read it and you say, holy smokes, this was written over 50 years ago. Yeah. And we got people crying about these things today that, wow, development workers weren't thinking this way. Well, actually they were. 
Mm -hmm. Actually, this is proof that they were. So yeah. just a quick note to provide a little context around the text that you're, you're, you're talking yeah. about. And yeah. Anyone interested in it, you, you, you need to grab it. Check out Abe Books and get a copy for $3.50. Yeah. Yeah. Fabulous, fabulous. It really essential, is. Yeah. Essential reader. A real um, yeah. uh, gem. Yeah. So uh, the World Bank, of course, changes its philosophy. Mm -hmm. They move away from, from Robert McNamara and Lester Pearson, uh, and they move into structural adjustment programs. And that concept that uh, the economy is first uh, and people are second begins to prevail at the World Bank. Uh, so we see that change. And then we see the adjustment of SAPs. We see the adjustment of SAPs in Canada also. John Critchen brings it in. Canada gets structurally adjusted. Um, today uh, on CBC Radio, this is uh, November 24th, right? Um, uh, Ed Broadbent was talking about the motion that he put forth uh, in 1989 to eliminate child poverty by the year 2000 and how in the 1990s that all got subverted by the structural adjustment of mm. Canada and the withdrawing of funding for social programs. So Canadians, the, the overseas development, the ODA budget, um, remember Lester Pearson in, in coming out of uh, partners for development, he, or partners in development, he wanted Canada to set a 1% of gross national product as the target. And they sawed off at decimal 7%. So that was the target. Uh, internationally approved as, as a standard that folks should, that rich countries should aim for. And of course, uh, Canada never met that. There are others that have, Sweden, Denmark, other countries, uh, the Netherlands, they have, they have met those. Ironically, I think the highest, uh, when we were at the highest was during Brian Mulroney's reign. That's right, yeah, it was, it was the Trudeau-Mulroney years, those legacy there, and we got up to around decimal four, close to decimal five. Um, we have been going downhill since, uh, and we are now at the lowest ever. We'll be under uh, decimal three. Uh, so. Um, so, so, so that's helpful. Um, we're, we're getting close to having to wrap it up, believe it or not. But why? Let me play the advocate. Why? Why do we need to bother? Like, sure. Honestly. So sure, sure, great. Sure, so Lester sure. wanted 0.7. Okay, he didn't get it. He got 0.32, and it's getting worse. But there's a reason for that because China's raising itself out of poverty, and isn't Southeast Asia coming together, and so on. And we can't help everybody, Bill. Yeah, you, 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 it's an interesting point. Where do we focus our energies, but also uh, why, why do we want to do this? Why yeah. do we want ODA? Why do we want to share the wealth rather than hoard the wealth? That's the basic. So, we, you know, what's our, our instinct sometimes is to, to hoard things, to look after ourselves. <clears throat> the Quran has an interesting phrase. Uh, Muhammad says, who will start the next war? And the answer is the hungry man. Mm. So as long as we have that disparity, Gunnar Myrdal, my, my favorite economist here, coined the phrase, uh, the disparity gap. Um, and he began to produce statistics around that. As long as you have uh, those who are rich uh, and few who are lording it over, other folks. Uh, some people often tell me, well, I don't understand what imperialism and Imperialism is just when somebody lords it over you. As long as the rich are lording it over uh, for poor folks around the world, 
Uh, we live in a world now of much more instant communication. Uh, folks have the capacity to see what's going on. At the bombing of the 9-11 World Trade Towers, uh, Americans thought, we didn't start this, but we're going to finish it. Wrong. Uh, it's been going on for hundreds of years. We have uh, an industrialized north that was imposing its trade agenda on the rest of the world. And in my mind, we had the Viking model of international development. We had plunder and rape, uh, which was happening all around the world. And that creates hatred. So remember, I'm an, uh, talking about family of origin stuff. Also, we have to look at peers. I'm an old rad from the 1960s. So uh, Robert Kennedy, you know, one person can make a difference and you can be that person. Um, there's the violence of people rising up in Chicago uh, against uh, those that have money, but there's the violence of uh, homes without heat in the winter. There's the violence of schools without books. I was teaching, or sorry, I was doing a guest lecture in, in Detroit once in a commercial law class and they were learning typing, and there were no typewriters. And I said, how do you do that? He said, well, we learned the theory of typing. That's great. There were no typewriters <laughs> in that, and that was an inner city Detroit class. Hmm. You know, wow. And so I'm gonna ask you, before we wrap up, uh, and I'm sorry we have to do that, but why do you seem to be more concerned about international issues than Canadian issues, and okay. here you are yeah, teaching sure. a yep. course in Canadian context. Yep. Yep. Hey, Bill, don't we have um, don't we have poverty? You know, to your point you about you no bet. typewriters in Detroit. Yep. We got poverty in First Nations community. We got you poverty bet. in Hamilton. For heaven. I mean, you I got bet. it in Oakville. You know, Dennis Hallett from Make Poverty History sure. would say in Oakville, the richest place in Canada, folks who are on the margins tend to be ignored because what do you mean you've got people at risk in your community? Yeah, 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 exactly. So, what's the structural uh, violence? Uh, what's the, in, in, wherever you are, what's the vertical mosaic wherever you are? And uh, who's on top, who's on bottom? Sometimes, if you look at the world, it's the same people on top. How do you mitigate that wherever you are? So, um, yes, indeed, uh, we can teach international development, but uh, here's, a, here's a story of uh, the separation of CUSO and uh, SUCO, Service University of Canadian Ultramare. Um, and also coming out of the Canada Company of Young Canadians back in the 1960s, the orientation that folks supplied was, this is the structure of poverty, this is the process for the perpetuation of poverty. It exists everywhere. We're training you to be aware of this so that you can be effective wherever you go. You may wish to go with CUSO to Tanzania, to Zambia, to wherever, wherever you want, uh, wherever there are programs. but. You can also choose to stay in downtown Montreal. So lessons are applicable everywhere. You got it. You got you different got cultures, yeah. maybe different contexts, but essentially yeah. the yeah. same thing, yeah. right? You got it. So it, it is. There's no um, uh, difference in my mind. The similarities are so huge between uh, graduating from Humber in uh, international development certificate and program uh, management and working with the First Nations. Uh, working with the Assembly of First Nations, working in downtown Toronto with the Ontario uh, French, Friendship Centres. Um, there's no difference. You're looking at the same structure. So how do we build those alliances? It's a great, you know, I, I love, there are certain commonalities in my podcasts and uh, my listeners will know, but I mean, we, we really are all in this together. 
And I mean, I think if there's a, you know, one of those, you know, you know, the, the, the lecturer or the teacher says, if there's one thing you, I want you to take away from today's lecture, right? We are in all, all of us, all of us globally yeah. are in yeah. this together. Yeah. And it's corny and it does sound somewhat corny yeah. and, and tree huggerish in a way. Yeah. Uh, we're yeah. in this together, yeah. guys. Let's yeah. figure it out. There's, there's yeah. so much truth in that. Yeah. And I, and I think, I think the, the value here is figuring it out. What's, right. what's the concept? What's the analysis that you want to use? Because and I, I think that old cultural dominance that we talked about since the election of Ronald Reagan is beginning to fall apart. Hmm. You have Thomas Picardi, who has a bestseller tech yes. economic textbook. 800-page yeah. book. 800, and how can you be number one on the New York yeah. with yeah. an economic textbook? Yeah. But basically he is saying this, we need to put some controls on capitalism here. Wealth uh, of individuals outstrips the wealth of the community. Uh, well, I love what you said about, uh, you know, the shift uh, from um, um, egalitarianism to SAPs, you know, from Pearson to, to the World Bank. Mm -hmm. And, you know, your line was the economy was first and people were second. Now, how do we, how do we shift that again? And it does seem like, at the risk of sounding a little too idealistic, it does seem like we're kind of moving that way. Yeah, and we have to we have to keep the push on. You know, all the, all that's necessary uh, for the world to be less egalitarian, the world to be less equal, is for those folks that, like ourselves to do nothing. You know, then those folks with power, they will ensure they keep the power. Nice way to end the conversation, uh, Bill. Thanks a lot. And there really is way more going on here than meets the eye. It's remarkable. I can't believe, you know, the references and the conversation. I'd love to go more into the conversation about Pearson. Maybe we can do that at another time. But thanks a lot for, for uh, joining us today uh, on Face to Face. My pleasure, David.